Well, good morning and a very warm welcome to our service today on this, the first Sunday of Advent. Whether you've been coming here for years or whether you're visiting us from the very first time, whether you're here in the building or whether you're joining with us online, you are very welcome and we pray that God will bless you as we spend this time in worship together. Uh, if I may just add a personal welcome to David and Carol Sheldon, it's lovely to have you back with us and worshipping with us this morning. Before we begin our worship, Deborah's just going to come and share a little bit about the Christingle service, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Deborah. So, we all know how Tim feels about notices before the service, but the cat's away, so here I go. So, two weeks today is our Christingle service at 10.30 here at 17th of December. This is an ideal opportunity to invite your friends, your neighbours, people who are a little bit reticent about coming to church, not sure what to expect. You can tell them there will be oranges, there will be sweets, there will be naked flames on candles. There's nothing not to like. Um, it will be a very kind of low-key, easily accessible service for anybody of any age. Right? This is not just a children's service. This is a, a service for us as a, a church family and for our community family. So please think about who you might be able to invite and bring along. Um, it's completely non-threatening, um, an ideal introduction to church or a reintroduction to church. At that service, we will be having a collection for the Children's Society, uh, which is an organisation that work um, to support and bring hope and light to the lives of vulnerable children. And uh, with that in mind, there are some collection boxes available again this year. Um, they come in a ready-made form or flat pack, if you prefer. Um, please do take one of these away with you, fill it with all your loose change or notes or checks or, you know, we take money in any form. Um, bring it back on the, uh, on the morning of the 17th. If you're not going to be here for some reason, then feel free to drop it off at the office before then um, and uh, all, the, all the money that is collected on that morning will go to the Children's Society, a really worthy cause um, and I really hope you'll be able to support it both financially if you're able, but in person, and bring someone else with you. Thank you. Thank you, Deborah. So today marks the journey of the, towards the celebration of the birth of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Today we'll be lighting our first Advent candle on the Christmas wreath. And of course it's a time of preparation, a time when we open our hearts to the love that God has poured out on all of us through the gift of his Son. And in the hustle and bustle of the world around us, this season provides us with that precious opportunity to pause, to reflect, and to draw near to the profound and transformative love of God, which is right at the heart of the Christian message. And our worship this morning will allow us to do that as we spend time in God's presence. Our theme for this first Sunday of Advent is love. It's a word we hear and use a lot, but this morning we have an opportunity to delve into its deeper meaning. In 1 John verse four, chapter 4 and verse 8, we read that God is love, and it's this divine love that we seek to understand and embody in our lives. So with anticipation in our hearts, and with love as our guiding theme for our worship this morning, let's begin with joy and gratitude, ready to encounter the love of God 
in profound and in new ways as we sing our first two songs together. Glorious light, see the dawn of salvation, and King of Kings, majesty. As always, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we sing. Otherwise, please feel free to remain seated. Let's worship God together.
let's turn to God in prayer. Let us pray. Loving God and Father, we thank you for this, your day. We thank you for this season of Advent when we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior. And we pray that as we join together here in this place today, you will help us to focus on you. Remembering that the gift of Christ, Emmanuel, is our most treasured gift. Not just for the Christmas season, but for the whole year through. Lord, we confess that in a season when every heart should be joyful and expectant and filled with wonder, many of us struggle with the heaviness of life, wondering when bills will be paid, when pain will cease and good health might return, when relationships will be mended, or when rest will come. Lord, this Advent, will you make your message of love, of peace, of hope, of joy, real in our hearts. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, the Word made flesh. We thank you that you've promised rest for the weary, victory for the battle scarred, peace for the anxious, and acceptance for the brokenhearted. Father, this day, over 2,000 years after the birth of your Son, your name is still called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And we know that peace on earth can only come when our hearts find peace with you. You are our joy. You are our peace. Lord, you're no longer a babe in the manger. You are our Lord of Lords and our King of Kings. And we celebrate you as Lord this Advent and always. Amen. So today is the first Sunday of Advent and we'll shortly be lighting the first candle in our wreath. And of course for those of us who have until now been burying our heads in the sand that Christmas is coming, we probably need to accept that we need to get our act together because, of course, there is a lot to do. There is Christmas shopping to be done. Although well, these days it perhaps looks a little bit more like this. We've got trees that need to be put in and decorated. This is not working, but there we go. And, uh, of course, then there is the, the Christmas list to write. And then there are Christmas parties to attend. I think really you might need to move this on. Thank you. Let's try again, shall we? So we've got Christmas parties to attend. There is, of course, carol singing. And in fact, we're going carol singing on Wednesday the 13th of December at 6 o'clock, going around the local community. So if you'd like to join us, you would be most welcome. And of course, how many of us have to endure Christmas jumper day at work? I love this shot. It's a bunch of people who have not only been forced to wear Christmas jumpers, but then they've been told, well, by the way, we're taking a team photograph as well. Don't you look absolutely ecstatic? And then, of course, there's a visit to Santa for all the children. Isn't that wonderful? But even on that, that occasion, sometimes, oops, thank you, it doesn't always go according to plan. And, of course, we've got nativities to attend and to take part in. There are Christmas cards to write and to send to family and friends. I was doing a bit of searching. I quite like this one. But I also found this one. I have to say, in this next one here, if it comes up, come on, there we go. 
I tell you, these children are going to come back and exact a horrible revenge on those parents when they're a bit older, aren't they? And then, of course, there is Christmas lunch to prepare. All the turkey and all the trimmings. And, of course, it's all got to be done in exactly the way that Mary Berry would do it. And then the, the big day finally arrives, and there are presents. I wouldn't say the parents have overdone it, would you? And then, of course, there's Christmas lunch, and all the family arrive, and there's all the games and the party songs and the party hats. And then, of course, afterwards, we need a little bit of rest. <laughs> It becomes just a little bit too much for some of us. And I confess I'm probably in that camp too by about four o'clock in the afternoon. So today, as we celebrate the beginning of Advent, I wanted just to take a moment or two to reflect on its real meaning. The message of Advent is an invitation. And uh, it's a challenge to us. We're called to be looking forward, to be ready, to be prepared. And we're asked to wait in joyful hope. Of course, waiting is not something we're very good at these days, really, is it? Our modern world pushes us to be faster in so many ways. We've got smartphones and computers and iPads and all manner of electronic devices to make, us, make it easier to communicate and to get things done whilst we're on the move. You can even control the heating and lighting in your home these days from your mobile phone. But Advent asks us to do the very opposite, doesn't it? During these days of preparation, we're asked to take some time to be still, to be silent, and to prepare ourselves for Christmas. And whilst we can't simply ignore the shops, the media, the advertisements, and everything else that's associated with Christmas in our secular world, neither can we ignore the words and the message of Jesus in today's Gospel. In Mark chapter 13, we read, Be on your guard, stay awake, because you never know when the time will come. And it ends with, what I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. So if we get a little too caught up in the shopping and the spending, there's a danger that we'll miss what Advent is really about. The call to stay awake. We're asked not to miss these next four weeks. We're asked to prepare and to get ready as best we can as followers of Jesus. So with that, we're going to light our Advent candle. Beth's going to come and do that. And uh, as she does so, I'm going to read some words which will appear on the screen. Thank you, William. And, uh, and then there'll be a, once Beth lit the candle, there'll be a, a responsive reading that I'd like us all to join in together. The Gospel of John speaks of Christ as the true light coming into the world. In commemoration of that coming, we light candles for the four weeks leading to Christmas and reflect on the coming of Christ. And so today we light the first candle, the candle of love, which signifies the love of God that surrounds and fills us at all times, but that we recognise in a special way in the Christmas story. There is no greater power than love. It is stronger than rulers and empires, stronger than grief or despair, stronger even than death. We love because God loves us, no matter who we are or where we've come from. Let's all meet together. Loving God, as we enter this Advent season, we open all the dark places in our hearts and memories to the healing light of Christ. Magnify your love with us.
Loving God, in this advent of expectation, draw us together in unity, that our praise and worship might echo in these walls and also through our lives and throughout our communities. In this advent of expectation, draw us together in mission, that the love and hope within us might be the song we sing and the melody of our lives. In this advent of expectation, draw us together in service, that the path we follow might lead us from a stable to a glimpse of eternity. In Jesus' name, Amen. We're going to sing again a song that charts the life of our Saviour from his birth in a borrowed stable to the, uh, to the cross of Calvary. Um, it's called From the Squalor of a Borrowed Stable. And if the children are heading for BRBK, this is your time to go and lead us. Thank you.
The passage that Julie will be speaking on a little bit later brings our current sermon series in Thessalonians to a conclusion, and the reading is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verses 23 to 28, where we read, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Before we bring our prayers for the wider world, I wanted to allow some time and space to be quiet in God's presence, to enable each of us to open our hearts, to listen to him, and to bring our own quiet prayers of petition. And as we do so, we'll listen to a beautiful arrangement of the well-known carol, Away in a Manger. It was written by a brilliant young composer called Lucy Walker, and the piece is performed by the Cambridge University Pembroke College Chapel Choir, conducted by their equally brilliant conductor, Anna Lapwood. So let's spend a little time together, quietly, in God's presence, as we listen to this carol.
Let's now turn our hearts and minds to the world around us and bring to God our prayers of concern. This morning we'll remember the conflict in Israel and Gaza, the continuing war in Ukraine, and we'll be praying for the COP28 climate conference which is currently taking place out in Dubai. Let's pray together. Loving God, we come before you with heavy hearts, lifting up the people of Israel and Gaza who are caught in the midst of conflict. We are horrified at what we've seen taking place in that region in recent weeks and we're devastated to see the end of the truce this last week which had brought some small measure of relief to the hundreds of thousands of innocent people stranded in Gaza and who now once again have been warned by the Israelis to flee imminent bombardment. We pray for their safety. We pray for access to food and water and medical care and other vital provisions, despite the blockade on the region. We pray for an end to the violence, for increased intervention by world leaders and the international community to press for a peaceful resolution. Lord, grant wisdom to all who are involved in this situation that they might find some form of common ground and work towards a just and lasting peace. Lord, please also bring your comfort to those who have lost loved ones and let your spirit of peace and reconciliation prevail in this troubled land. Father, we also bring our prayers for the people of Ukraine who continue to face immense hardship and suffering amidst the ongoing conflict in their country. We ask for your divine intervention and protection for all those affected by this crisis. In the midst of chaos and uncertainty, we pray for the safety of the Ukrainian people. May they find refuge from violence and harm. May their courage and resilience never waver. Will you grant them strength to endure the challenges they face and wisdom to navigate the path ahead. We pray for an end to the bloodshed and destruction that's been so cruelly and unjustly afflicted on Ukraine by Russia. Lord, will you intervene in the hearts and minds of the Russian government and particularly its leader, Vladimir Putin, that they may recognize the magnitude of their wrongdoing and move swiftly towards a peaceful resolution and may justice and compassion prevail over conflict and division. Creator God, as world leaders gather for the top COP28 conference, we pray for your divine guidance and wisdom. Grant them clarity of vision and the strength of purpose to recognize the urgency of addressing the climate crisis. May they set aside their differences and unite in a common cause, understanding that the fate of our planet and its inhabitants rests on their shoulders. Lord, will you open their hearts to the plight of of those already bearing the the brunt of climate change particularly the vulnerable communities and developing nations. Let them comprehend the devastating impact of rising sea levels, extreme weather events, 
and the disruption of ecosystems. Father, will you empower our leaders to make bold and decisive commitments to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels and urge them to embrace renewable energy sources and implement sustainable practices that safeguard our environment. Inspire them to establish a robust financial mechanism to support developing countries in their adaptation and mitigation efforts. Loving God, we pray you will instill in our world leaders a sense of responsibility and accountability. May they act with foresight, recognizing that the actions taken today will determine the well-being of generations to come. Guide the COP28 conference towards a path of collective action and shared responsibility. Let it be a turning point in our collective journey towards a sustainable and resilient future. Loving Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment or two, Julie is going to come and bring God's word to us. But before we do that, let's sing again before the throne of God above. Let's join together and worship.
morning, everyone. Let's just come uh, before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is freely available for us to read and we can learn from it and you speak to us through it. And we pray today that through the, the section that we're looking at, you will speak to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit will move and we will be ever transformed more into the image of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so today, as uh, Ken has said, we finish our series on 1 Thessalonians with Paul's final prayer and then three uh, final requests. And the title I've been given, not an easy one, is Blameless When the Lord Comes. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and that's what we've been looking at, to strengthen their faith and to bolster their resistance to persecution and temptation, and to be ready for Jesus' return. You have the first few verses. So it says here, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Let's look at that first. I am so glad that Jesus didn't come about three o'clock last Wednesday because he would not have found me blameless. And we'll explore what that means a bit later. But I had a very unholy moment. I was driving through Henfield and there was a great long row of parked cars so I had to move over and go on the other side and there was a car behind me and there was nothing coming at the time. And then suddenly this car came herring down and wham, smashed my wing mirror. And it made such a noise and there was glass all over the place. When I got over the shock, I was really surprised at my first very vindictive thought, which was, I really hope he smashed his own mirror as well. <laughs> and I, I found myself with that thought and I'm teaching on this today, and, but that was my instant reaction. Um, that, oh, I just really hope his is all smashed up as well. Not good. And I had to repent and say sorry to God. So, blameless, when the Lord comes, the first Sunday of Advent is often used as an opportunity to remind ourselves of the sure and certain hope of his second coming. And I remember this time last year, I was, uh, I was preaching uh, on that particular topic. Um, his coming again, his return. And re it reminds us that as surely as he came the first time, that born as a baby uh, in Bethlehem, that he lived, he died, he rose again, as surely as all those things happened, as surely as uh, the fact that he ascended into heaven, he is absolutely coming again. We don't talk about it too much these days, and so this is always a good reminder for us to get encouraged, motivated, and prepared for it, because we never know. We just never know when he's going to come again. And sometimes we can lose, uh, easily lose, perspective of the big picture. We're so involved in our, our little lives, and we can we can forget that there's a whole bigger picture, God's plans and his purposes for the church and for the world too. God 
has it all in hand. It doesn't seem like that, but he has it all in hand. He knows the end from the beginning. And Jesus returning again is, as someone said, a hinge linking human history in this world with the life of the world to come. It will happen. And some people think, oh, it's not going to happen. There's so much written about it in scripture. It will happen. And for the early church, Jesus coming again was their hope. It was their longing. They expected it any time. Maranatha was their cry. Come, Lord Jesus, come. They were, they were anxious for it. They wanted him to come again. And there are so many different theories which we looked at last year, and it's all very complicated, and equally eminent theologians uh, will say different things, but what we do know is that it will be personal, it will be literal, it will be visible, it will be sudden, a bit like that fire alarm last uh, few weeks ago, wasn't it? Tim and Dick Beasley knew it was going to happen, not saying they're like the father and the son, but uh, they, they knew it was going to happen, but we didn't, and it was unexpected, and Jesus' returning again will be unexpected and glorious. And if we know Jesus, if we have invited him into our life, if we've had our sins forgiven, if we know him and love him, then we don't need to be afraid. We can be excited. The question is then, are we ready? Are we ready? And here, Paul prays for uh, the Thessalonians in, in that uh, verse 23. Uh, May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept, be, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our whole, it doesn't mean that we've got to work out what is the spirit and what is the soul. No, I mean, and that's a bit interchangeable in the, in, in the, in, in the Bible anyway. And no, it doesn't mean that. Paul is emphasizing that all of us, every single part of us, is to be ready. That we can't separate um, our spiritual life and our church life from any other life we have. We, we, it's, we're to be integrated, like I've said before, like a stick of Brighton rock, it's got Brighton all the way through, that we are like a stick of rock with Jesus all the way through, that, that there's no separation. We can't compartmentalize our Christian life. Um, someone wrote a book, I think, um, that who, who are you when no one's looking? Who are you when no one's looking? Because, of course, God is always looking. And then the word blameless. Oh dear, that sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? Is that even possible? What, what does Paul mean here by blameless? Well, in one respect, it can't equal sinlessness, in one respect, because in this life, and as we journey on our faith, we're not, and we know that, and I know that, and uh, and we can't be absolutely perfect without sin. Blameless definitions say free of guilt, um, morally and spiritually excellent. The Cambridge Dictionary says not responsible for doing something wrong. Blameless in the Bible was used to refer to those who are exceptionally obedient to God. Noah was righteous in the sense that he did what was right and blameless. 
and in the sense that he didn't do what was wrong. In Luke of Zechariah and Elizabeth, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, it says, observing all the um, Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. God is not looking for someone with perfect performance, thankfully, but someone with a right heart, a heart that desires to please God, a heart that is grieved over sin and evil in, our, in what we see in the world, but also in our own lives, a heart that is sensitive to the things in our lives that aren't right, a heart that believes God and his willingness to restore and forgive when we ask him, which we need to constantly do, though we're to be sensitive to what's not right. Blameless people are people of integrity. Their manner of life is above reproach. They conduct themselves wisely because they walk according to the word. When God called Abraham, he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Job was said to be blameless and upright. So, as we've said, not perfection in this life, because Paul himself knew that he wasn't perfect. He said into Corinthians, we're being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And then he said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So he knew. He knew he had his own faults. And in chapters 4 and 5 that we've looked at in recent weeks, even just in those chapters, Paul's instructed Thessalonians to do and to not to do so many things. And Michael looked at some of them last week. Abstain from sexual immorality. Don't defraud your brother. Love one another. Lead a quiet life. Build one another up. Respect those who work hard among you. Live in peace with each other. Warn those who are idols. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong. Always be kind. Be joyful. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. Sounds exhausting and overwhelming. And we think, oh my goodness. Um, and frankly, impossible to do all that perfectly in our own strength. And even if we grit our teeth and stray, I'm not going to defraud him. I mean, that's not the point. Because you see, it becomes much easier the closer our relationship is with God. The more that we allow the Holy Spirit to reign in our lives, the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more grateful we are for him being our saviour, the more we recognise what we've been saved from and what we've been saved for. When we have that closer and increasingly closer relationship with, with Jesus, the more then we will desire to become like him and we won't want to do those things. We won't want to be sexually immoral. We won't want to defraud our brother. We will want 
to build one another up. We will want to live in peace with each other. We will want to encourage the timid and help the weak and be patient with everyone. We will naturally be kinder uh, to one another. We will naturally be more joyful the closer the relationship is. The more we allow the Holy Spirit to reign in our life, we will, it's not a list of do's and don'ts in that respect as I read it. It's a, we will not want to. We'll want to hold on to the good and we'll want to avoid every kind of evil. But Paul prefaces the blameless bit by reminding us of sanctification. We don't use that word too much. And he reminds us that it's God himself, the God of peace, who will sanctify us through and through. It's God. He's the source of our sanctification. It's his doing. So what does sanctify mean? Well, quite simply, to set apart, to consecrate. It's to do with being holy, by being made holy. And, in, and this is a bit complicated, but in, in, in Christian theology we can look at it and understand it in these ways because it, it is quite hard to understand. There's three, yep, that slide please. If you've got the next slide. Yeah, if you can read that. If we can look at it in three ways, that, and these three terms, positional uh, sanctification, where it's, it's been done, it's finished, Jesus has done, us, done it, he's made us holy, it's all been done, it's nothing we could do of ourselves. When we came to Jesus and we, we put our faith in him and we were justified, we're made righteous. Hebrews 10, 10 says, by his will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We've been delivered from the penalty of sin, praise God. But then we have progressive sanctification, which is in the bit that, that we're in now, most of us. And that is a process. Um, in, in, the Hebrew, in Hebrews, it continues to say, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So somehow we've been made holy, but we are being made holy. And that as we're going to look at that in a moment, uh, the deliverance for us from the power of sin. With God's help, we can be increasingly uh, blameless. And then there's perfected sanctification, the final one. When we are finally delivered, we've sung before the throne of God above, we sang this morning, didn't we? When we're finally delivered from the penalty, the power and the presence of sin, and that day will come. And this sanctification business is, is hard to understand, but we're in the progressive. If we have come to Jesus, and I, I pray that every single person here this morning has, and if you haven't, then today is a day of salvation, and you can. Today, Jesus has still got his arms, as it were, on the cross, uh, ready for you to receive you if you come to him and ask for forgiveness. But most of us have received Jesus. We are assured. We, we, we know and love him. We are thankful that he has, as it were, made us holy. But we're still living this life. And you and I know all too well how much we fail. 
Perhaps we can, and we need help, perhaps we can use the analogy, which isn't a perfect one, obviously, but of knee surgery. And I know Kate's recently had knee surgery, so this is uh, very uh, um, abstract for her. Well, if you've got something wrong with your knee, uh, and, and then you go to the doctors, and, and he says you need an operation, and you have an operation for your knee, and the surgeon fixes it, and then he comes and he says, the operation's been done, it's a success, the operation has been done, it's all sorted, it's been done. But that doesn't mean, as Kate well knows, that you uh, leap out of bed and run down the corridor and race home. No, there's a process. Um, you have to exercise, you have to be careful, you need guidance, you need help, perhaps from the physiotherapist. You need support and help from your family until, hopefully, it's as good as new. Um, that falls down, excuse the pun, uh, for those who, who in the end, uh, knee surgery doesn't work out uh, quite as they hope, and I know that's not everyone's experience of knee operations. But it's just a little analogy that the surgeon has fixed it, it's all been done, and it will be okay, but you have to work at it in the meantime. And in a, in a similar way, progressive sanctification is to become more in practice what we are in position. Uh, in Philippians we, we read, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul himself says, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I thought, oh dear, a bit of body beating needing to be done when I get home today. We are on this faith journey, aren't we? And we have to keep moving with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, allowing God to change us. Because he's so willing, he knows how weak we are, he knows we mess up, but recognising that certain aspects of our life uh, are not pleasing to him, it's not uh, what he wants. But we have to want to be different. Don't be greedy, I said to my little grandson who was stuffing himself with sweets when he was little, but I like being greedy, he said. <laughs> And to be honest, we can like doing some of the things that we do that aren't right. We don't want to get sorted. We, like, we, we can like that. We can become very comfortable with things that don't please God. Our inner life can grow out of control. We can start to eclipse the reign of God in our lives by getting distracted or... Uh, doing things that aren't right um, and it becomes a blockage. When we receive Christ, initially the Spirit gives us a new nature, energises us with a zeal and a passion for holiness, an inner desire to obey God. I remember when I first became a Christian, oh, I was so wanted to be exactly right with God uh, and, and I was very aware of the things that didn't please him. But as we go on, we can become a little bit immune to certain things. Um, the thing is that we are to have a desire to be more and more 
like Jesus, but people may see Jesus in us. But how easily distracted are we? We push the Holy Spirit aside and Jesus, as it were, off the throne. So we have to want to be blameless, but secondly, we need to be intentional about it, purposeful. Some of it is just not, it's not going to just happen. Hebrews 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So sanctification, the progressive sanctification, requires human effort, but all empowered by the Spirit. It's holding these things in tension. Peter said, be holy in all you do. And Ephesians, Paul said to the Ephesians, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. That really spoke to me. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And Paul, here in his prayer, is not praying for them to become more religious, to do more things, but, as I said before, to become more and more like Jesus. Romans 8, to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. He just wants us to become more and more Christ-like, because that's what we're called to do. That's what we're, it's not just a ticket to heaven, um, coming to the cross, however many years ago. It's that lifestyle of becoming more and more like Jesus. Into the Philippians, he says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. And that's the key, that's the aim. And I, would, I was thinking about it this morning, Stuart Davison was speaking the other day about aiming high in, in love, and I, I would like us to think about aiming high in holiness. Otherwise, we'll be missing the mark, we'll be missing out what God has for us. We'll be, we'll be, the relationship will be damaged between us and him. Um, we won't be effective. People won't be able to see Jesus in us. Holiness is not an optional extra just for monks or nuns or something. It's for all of us. And it sounds so grandiose to be holy. Peter said, be holy. But, but it's just becoming more and more like Jesus. And I, a question I would ask you to consider this morning as I have myself have you slipped in your faith at all? Can you remember a time when you're so much more on fire for God? Um, have you become spiritually sloppy, if you like? There's no standing still on the faith journey. You either keep going, or like a treadmill, you start going backwards. Has your faith, has my faith, drifted into learning about Jesus rather than receiving life from him and letting his life change ours? The other morning, Miriam stood up here 
And she talked about, if you remember, she talked the same day as Stuart Davidson, I think, but she, or was it? Oh, I don't remember. Uh, and talked about plastic waste and the tear fund um, uh, campaign. Uh, and, and she said um, she wanted to encourage us not to, uh, to be careful with, with, with our plastic. And she said that um, it can be overwhelming to think, oh, I've got to change everything. I can't use any plastic. I mean, what can I do? She said it can be overwhelming. So she said to make one use in uh, our use of plastic, uh, one change in our use of plastics. And she mentioned shampoo bars. There's a picture, I think, up there. She mentioned a shampoo bar. Other shampoo bars are available. <laughs> and I thought, it immediately struck me, and I thought, even though I try to be careful, I thought, I can make that one change. I can make just one change. So I went straight home intentionally and I ordered a bar and I've been using it ever since. Just one thing. And holiness with all that list, as we've said, can seem overwhelming, uh, especially if we've slipped in our faith a bit or whatever. But my prayer as I prepared this, and I felt really strongly <clears throat> about it, is that the Holy Spirit today would, as it were, shine a, a torch into each of our hearts and there would be one thing that he highlights, that he wants, that it, I mean, there, there could be loads of things in my life, there could be loads of things, but one thing, just one thing for this morning that he would convict you, me, of, um, something we're doing or something maybe we're not doing um, that is being a blockage in our path to holiness. And uh, we do something about it. And we actually do something about it. It might be prayerlessness, it might be our Bibles might be gathering dust, it might be a problem with anger, it might be a problem with criticism, it might be a problem with unforgiveness to someone even in the congregation perhaps. But remember it begins with a, a willingness for God to allow God to highlight what's not right and then to do something about it in his strength, of course. And Paul says in that verse 20, uh, 24, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Paul's confidence rests in the nature of God, who can be relied upon to complete what Jesus has begun. Because he loves us, we talked about love this morning, because he loves us, and he'll walk with us, and like the physiotherapist on our knee, he'll, he'll come alongside us, and he'll, he'll highlight things, and he'll give us the strength to to change because change we must and it might seem a hard message but it's not okay to be spiritually sloppy um, and of course we'll always have things that need being dealt with but just one change was my prayer this morning and then finally and, and we finish uh, he just ends with three final requests um, he says brothers pray for us Paul knows that he needs prayer. Let's be humble enough 
ourselves, to be accountable to others and to ask for prayer. In, in house groups, with friends, anybody, me, somebody after the service, I'm struggling with this, can you pray for me? Paul even asked for prayer. And then he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Tim mentioned this uh, a few weeks back, or that was the uh, custom then, but for us it could be a handshake or a hug. Or, But actually I think the thing behind it, I mean I don't know, but I think it's the importance of being in good relationship with one another. You can't... The, you know, we're doing this together. We're in fellowship together. Um, and, you know, you can't give somebody a holy kiss if you don't like them and you don't want to talk to them or whatever. It's just emphasizing that, that relationship. And then finally he says, I charge you, quite strong, I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read out to all the brothers. What Paul was saying, he felt was really, really, really important. And he wanted to make sure everyone heard it and put it into practice. So in a moment, we're going to um, sing, um, Jesus, you are changing me. Um, but before that, I, I would like us to have a, a moment silent and to ask, as it were, for the Holy Spirit to shine a light in my heart and your heart and, and, and highlight one thing that he wants you to recognize, repent of, ask for his help, and take steps to intentionally change. Let's just pray for a moment in the silence and ask God to move. And so if he has highlighted something to you, he did to me even just now, what are you going to do about it? We need frequently to come back to this place because we don't, we don't just uh, wash my hair once and that's it forever. I have to keep washing it because dirt accrues. <laughs> So we're going to sing uh, one verse together, remain seated, sing quietly and reflectively, and then we'll have it the instrumental and then we'll sing it again.
wonderful, amazing, incredible thing it is that he loves us. And that he loved us and while we were yet sinners, he died for us, exchanged his life for ours, our life for his. It is so amazing. It's so incredible. Our hearts are to be filled with gratitude and worship and awe and wonder. And so let's stand and sing <coughs> this one together.